0: Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe.
1: All right, welcome back for episode 23 of the Believe in Padres Prospects podcast on the Believe Podcast Network. San
0: Diego's number one sports podcast network.
1: On today's show, we have a trade... Part two, or de Austin Allen and a player to be named for Jerickson Profar.
0: Is that how you pronounce it?
1: That's the way I've only ever heard it. So yeah. What'd you think it was? Jurassic. You know, a soft J, like Jerickson. <laughs> <laughs> Jurassic Profar. He
0: won a Little League World Series. People forget.
1: Yeah, he was also 21 years old when he did it. Is that true? No. I thought you were Danny Almonte me. I was. Uh, did you get excited about that trade at all? Did it? Get the juices flowing, the pants tightened, the mouth watering? No. No, that's the right answer. (laughs) So we're going to be talking about this deal, who Profar is. Hopefully you kind of know a little bit about him anyway. What it means for the Padres, hopefully what trades are next. Uh, Because if this is it for Preller in the offseason, then you can wake me up and it's
0: 2020.
1: (laughs) But first, we're going to get to our conversation with former Padres prospect, former first-round pick, star at wake forest demon deacons matt antonelli now the program director of his own organization he's running youth baseball programs uh from 11 u teams all the way through 17 u teams back in his home state of massachusetts love his accent
0: great accent
1: he grew up just outside boston and it shows or it comes through via the ears you can hear it uh let's get into it right now here's matt antonelli mm-hmm. Welcome in to now former Padres first round pick number 17 overall Matt Antonelli now the program director for Matt Antonelli baseball thanks for making some time tonight Matt
2: no problem at all thank you
1: so I wouldn't say you're a social media guy by any standard but you're making a lot of interesting instructional videos via YouTube and you've been running a lot of teams and camps for youth players back east can you explain to our audience kind of what you've been up to these days
2: yeah sure thing so uh, my playing career ended in 2013. I was with the Indians. I was released um, kind of halfway through the year. And I needed to pretty much figure out what I wanted to do with my life. I knew I wanted to do something baseball related. Um, and so I actually got into college coaching. But at the same time, I started Antonelli Baseball with uh, with my dad. And so um, basically at that point, we were we had three what you would call travel baseball teams. So basically, uh, we were high school age kids that were looking to develop their skills and and hopefully move on and play college baseball. And so we ended up working with them. Uh, We'd have winter workouts where we'd practice and and train them. And then during the summer and spring, uh, they'd play in games. We'd travel around playing tournaments, try to get them exposure, that type of stuff. So that's how it kind of originally started. And from there, we've grown. We went from three teams that year to now we have you know, almost 200 kids in the program. Um, and with that, we've also – so I have a YouTube channel. Um, I am definitely not an expert on social media, as you said. Uh, but we have grown a pretty good following on YouTube, especially because we do a lot of instructional videos. So, I mean, our main thing, I guess, to break it down is we're basically just trying to help baseball players – Uh, Of all ages, we have kids as young as 9- and 10-year-olds with us, and we go all the way up into college. Uh, We're basically just trying to help them improve their game, teach them about the game of baseball, hopefully instill a love in the game uh, for them, and take some of the lessons that I've learned as a player and hopefully be able to pass it on to them.
0: Now, with the kids that you're teaching these days, what's the kind of hitting approach that you're teaching them? Are you kind of going the modern swing up on the ball to hit dingers, or are you more of a line drive, let the ball
2: get deep approach? I think to, to keep it as simple as possible, and, and we probably could talk about this for a really, really long time. Um, I talk about, I mean, essentially, we really talk about three things. I, I talk about creating uh, the proper path, and then I talk about, you know, creating, using your body properly to create bat speed and quickness. And I think when you can put all three together, you can be a really successful hitter. And obviously there's more, more to it than just that. But as far as, you know, you would ask is it swing up on the ball or, you know, some people teach swing down. We talk a lot about, you know, I, I think if you look at any successful hitter, whether major league or a solid college player, um, they're going to swing on, on pretty much the same path as the pitch and the pitch is coming slightly down. It's being thrown from an elevated mound overhand to a casual that's squatted, And so the barrel is going to travel slightly up through the hitting zone and it's going to impact the ball squarely that way more often. Um, at the same time, there has been kind of the revolution of swing up on the ball lately. I do think some people take it. I don't, I don't know if they, they take it the wrong way, but I do think certain kids aren't sure how to do it, and so they'll end up doing things kind of improperly that they'll actually be swinging up too much on the ball, right? So as much as we talk about you don't want to be down to the ball and through the ball, you don't want to be, you know, you don't want to lose your balance to swing straight up either. So it's a little bit of a blend of both. We talk about getting the barrel behind the ball. Um, And so, you know, we use uh, technology has really come into the game lately. And we also use some of that. um, Probably not to the level that obviously some major leagues, uh, major league programs and organizations can with their budgets, but we do, we do do that. Um, And so, yeah, I guess it's probably a little bit more of a new school approach, but again, we don't think things, too too far
0: gotcha and so we're a primarily Padres podcast here and nice. when you were with the Padres was the hitting approach kind of what you're teaching now or have you kind of changed nope. it?
2: no so I would say uh, I would say the approach when I was playing and, and it wasn't that long ago at least I, I like to tell myself it wasn't that long, but, <laughs> it wasn't that long. definitely wasn't uh, that long ago yeah it wasn't too long ago but the game has definitely changed so I still you know, I still talk to a lot of people in professional baseball. I still work with a lot of players in it and uh, things are totally different. Now when I was playing there, we we weren't using any technology. No one was talking about any of the things that they're talking about today. You know, when you look at the metrics, you hear people talking about launch angle and exit velocity and, and even bat path. Like we didn't really talk. And I play with five different organizations. So it isn't like just a Padres thing. Right. Um, But no one really was talking about a lot of that stuff. And one of the big lessons I learned as a player is, you know, I always was a pretty good hitter in high school and then college. And obviously I got drafted high by the Padres and I was really successful my first few years with the Padres. And then I struggled and I kind of forgot how to hit. Um, But I had no idea what I did to be successful because there wasn't a whole lot of talk back then about, The swing. And I shouldn't say that there was, but it was actually a lot of what I would consider like old school stuff, stuff that had just been kind of passed along from, you know, from a long, long time ago. There wasn't a lot of video being taken There, we didn't have, you know, uh, things on the end of our bats that that were measuring what the barrel and what the bat was doing. And so I had no idea how to get back, how to fix myself. And that was a big problem for me. And so one of the things that we talk about with our players is you have to be your own best coach. You have to learn your swing. You have to you, you can't just you know, if you're a great hitter, you can't just be like, oh, man, I, I wake up and I rake. I'm a great hitter because <laughs> that might not always happen. And if you don't know why you're successful and all of a sudden you're not successful, how are you ever going to get back to, to being su- successful again? So that kind of happened to me. And so it's a lesson I learned and I try to pass it on to our guys.
1: Yeah. I mean, even Tony Gwynn, like, was the biggest student of the game there was. And he's probably one of the best hitters I've ever seen. And, like, if you're going to be teaching young kids, like, use him as an example. If if you think you're too good for studying, what do you think? You're not going to be – you're not Tony Gwynn, you know, and he was yeah. the biggest student there was. Um, what was the pressure like being a first-round pick? You're always ranked really high. You talked about the success you had in, um, when you first got drafted. You were really high on all these prospect lists, fourth in the Cal League at one point. Fiftieth overall, according to Baseball America. Did you feel a huge weight on you from the organization, or from fans, or from yourself?
2: Um, I actually, uh, this is really weird. I, I never really thought very much. I didn't think it was a big deal that I was a first-round pick. I know some people think that I'm lying when I say that. Like I literally, uh, it was my goal when I went to college. You know, I went in uh, eight. I think it was 18th round. I can't even remember now. I think I went in the 18th round out of high school. Uh, that could be wrong. I should probably know that, but I'll check um, you up
1: while you're, while you're reading. Yeah, look that up and about. see
2: if I'm wrong about that. <laughs> but, um, I, I got drafted by the Dodgers and I remember like people told me I was going to go higher and I didn't go there. And I was so mad. I went to college and like the only thing I thought about every day was like prove everybody wrong and major league baseball and I'm going in the first round. And like, that was my goal. And when I actually got drafted there, I don't know why. I kind of like convinced myself that it was going to happen. And so when it did happen, I was just kind of like, all right, like I got drafted. Now I'm going to go play. So I honestly didn't think that much about it. Now, I tell this story all the time. Um, I don't know if you've heard it before. I put it on my YouTube channel, but um, I didn't think about it. But I remember my first at bat in Eugene, Oregon, where the short season was back in the day for the Padres. Um, I was walking up to bat for my first at bat at Eugene. And uh, this person stood up like, they were probably like right near the on-deck circle and they screamed out, come on, Matt, you gotta start earning some of that money. And I literally hadn't done anything yet. And, um, and that was the first time I'm like, Jesus, like these people are, are serious. Like they know that I signed for a good amount of money and they want me to do really, really well. Um, but like, honestly, that was, that was kind of it. Like I went through the minors and I did, I think probably what helped me is I did well at the beginning and I went through the minors really fast. And in my mind, I was going to play in the big leagues for like 10 to 15 years. And I was going to do really well. And I was going to retire at like 35 and uh, live happily ever after. And um, and it didn't happen. But I don't think being a first round pick or I didn't feel any additional pressure. The pressure I actually felt was when I got up to the big leagues and I wasn't doing well. Um, the pressure was, dude, like. Get your you-know-what together because you don't want to go back to the minors. you got to figure it out and do well here. I literally never thought, like, oh, i got to play well because I'm a first-round pick and they expect me to do that. So, I don't know. Maybe that's just weird of me, um, but that's kind of how I felt.
0: Now, going up to your first Major League appearance, the first pitcher you faced was Greg Maddox, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Was that intimidating?
1: I um, got a hit.
2: <laughs> so yeah, I got a hit, and I didn't get one for like twenty something more at bats after that. But <laughs> I
1: mean, Greg Maddox uh, counts for like ten hits, though.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I, wish, I wish that was the case. Um, so yeah, so it's interesting because I when I faced him, he was at the very end of his career. Um, I don't know how old he was, but he's probably in his maybe in his forties. I don't know. He was it was at the very end of his career, and he wasn't throwing very hard. I think. You know, the, the radar gun on the, on the ball I hit my first at-bats at 86, but it, you know, there weren't a lot of guys throwing 86, so it felt like 82. It was just a very comfortable at-bat, um, even though he had a huge name. Uh, I, would, I felt pretty comfortable against him. Uh, I I, I'm glad that it was against him and not someone throwing like 97, um, you know, that had just absolutely ridiculous stuff. Um, and going into that game, I've told this story again a few times on, on my YouTube channel, but I was actually very nervous for the game. Um, I'm sure most people are when they make their, their debut, but I really wanted to do well. And, you know, I was nervous and, and we went out into the field. I was hitting eighth that game. They hit me right before the pitcher. So I played defense first. And the first batter of the game, Russell Martin, let off of the Dodgers. He had a ground ball to me. I kind of went up the middle and I made the play. And uh, right when I threw the runner out at first... I felt all of a sudden it went from feeling super nervous to like very calm. It was almost like it reminded me like this is a regular baseball game. You still field it and you throw it the same way you always have since, you're not, you know, I was five years old. And then when I got up, I had like zero nerves. I, it was strange. I'm happy that I fielded first because if I hadn't, I probably would have been a lot more nervous getting to the plate my first time. But, yeah, I felt I felt OK. And I got like a one one fastball. I hit a single up the middle and uh, it was awesome.
1: And, uh, you most notably, you finished your career with one major league home run. Yep. Do you wake up every day and just say, thank God I hit that one home run?
2: <laughs> um, I actually, so I'm really happy I did. Cause every, everybody says, uh, a lot more than zero. Kind of, with, yeah, exactly. Every, <laughs> every time someone knows that I played, you know, in a major league game or played a few, they always say like, how many home runs you hit? And it's so much nicer to say one <laughs> than zero. Although. After I tell them one, they say, where'd you hit it? And I say, "Cores," And they all say, well, that doesn't count. Um, (laughs) So, uh, but it does count. So, um, yeah. So, I I was, obviously, I'm excited that I hit it. Um, It's really weird, though. I don't, and maybe it's because I didn't play a whole, like, I didn't have a very long career. But I don't talk a whole lot about my major league career. I don't, I just don't, I don't know. It was was very short in my career. I mean, I played eight years. um, And I was hurt for a lot of those eight years. But I did play eight years. I only got like, I think, and again, I don't even know, 50 something at bats maybe at the major league. So it was such a small part of my career that I just don't, I mean, I remember it obviously, but I don't think about it a whole lot. And I actually, you know, now that I've been out of the game, I, I, identify so much more as a coach that and the further I get away from a player, I, I just, it's just a long time ago. And, uh, and I've coached so much that I, I honestly don't think a whole lot about it, but it's nice to say that I have one home run. Yes, for sure.
0: Now, coming up with the kind of pedigree you had as a young player, you probably hoped you'd still be playing at this point even. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, a little easier said than done. Did you always kind of know in the back of your head that you wanted to be a teacher or coach and give back to youth players in some capacity?
2: Yeah, definitely. So I, uh, so my dad's been a coach pretty much his whole life. I mean, he was my coach. Uh, my dad played baseball in college and then got right into basically, you know, once he couldn't play anymore, he became a coach. Um and I kind of knew that I was going to do that. Also, uh, I can remember, you know, ever since pretty much my first, my first big, or my first spring training in uh, 2007, after I got drafted in six, um, you know, I was taking notes. I would come in, and uh, when I got home from that day of of practice or games or whatever. I would, uh, I'd open up my computer and I would write down all the notes from the day as far as like what we did, what the schedule was, like key points that coach that, you know, Buddy Black or maybe the hitting coach, you know, key points that they made in the day or some things that, you know, maybe like a player like Adrian Gonzalez talked about hitting or a drill he did. I wrote all that stuff down. I did that for my whole career. And um, I did it because I, I'm pretty, I, I, I think I knew that I was going to coach in some way. Like I knew I was going to do baseball. It's the only thing you know, I'm a real sports guy. I love baseball. I love football. I love, I love all sports. Um, but I knew I was going to coach and I figured, you know, I have a lot of experience obviously in baseball and I love the game. So I know I'm going to be in this game in some way. So, I mean, I was, I was prepping for it as a player, even at 21 years old. Um, you know, I played until I was, I don't know, I played eight years. So I played until I was like 28, 29 years old or so. Um, and a lot of those lessons, like I still look back on those things. I'll still look at spring training when I'm, you know, when we're putting together some type of whether it's like a bunty or first and third or something, I'll look back and see what different managers did and what our different plays were. So, yeah, I guess I've known for a while. What was
1: life like for you on the minor league circuit? Because the cause of minor leaguers in today's game has kind of been on the forefront of a lot of people's minds. Uh, I think compared back to when you were playing, especially we're seeing prominent members of the government getting involved Bernie Sanders has been speaking about against contraction of the minor league teams, Uh, the very poor and un-American salaries that a lot of these guys get, and how MLB manipulates the payment of players to like below minimum wage salaries along with service time manipulation. There's a lot going on, basically. So I wanted to know what it was like for you while you were playing.
2: Yeah, so I would say the minor leagues is not what I thought it was going to be. I mean, I really obviously you get to play baseball for a living. Um, not many people can do that. And, you know, I would say that that was, it's a highlight of my life. Um, and I really enjoyed doing it. At the same time, it is, it's not the easiest thing in the world. It was easier for me. I was lucky. I got drafted high, got a big signing bonus, but I played with lots of players that got no signing bonus. Um, came from, not great backgrounds, not, you know, not, not great economic background. Um, and they made no money and they, they ate crap for lack of a better term. Yeah. And, uh, they sent every dollar back to their families, which was no dollars pretty much. And it was just a hard, I mean, it's, it's not, it's uh, and luckily, you know, we're young and, um, but it's just, it's, it's a hard lifestyle. I think a lot of people think like, you know, minor leaguers are professional players. And it's like, this glamorous lifestyle. And it is again for like high round picks. Yeah. You get a lot of money, but uh, I don't think a lot of people realize exactly what it is. And, uh, so yeah, I just saw a lot. I saw a lot of guys that, that stopped playing, not because they weren't good enough, but they were like, I can't do this. Like, I don't make any money. And I got a wife or I got a girlfriend or I, you know, my family can't take care of me and I got to figure stuff out. And like, I saw players not play anymore because of that. And uh, not because they weren't good. Um, so I think something's wrong with that when you're a professional and you're one of the few, you know, I don't know what percentage you are, but it's a very, very, very small percentage of the people in the world. You're one of the best players in the world and, uh, to have to not play cause you're not getting paid enough to do so. You're getting paid, you know, what I would, I don't know, my first year playing, I think I made like $1,100 a month before taxes, before I paid for my hotel and, uh, I don't know what that is, but it's no money like it, it, you basically lose money. You know, you have to a lot of the kids that didn't get big signing bonuses, They had to come from families that could help support them or else they weren't going to be able to last very long in the minor league. Like to me, that seems kind of crazy to think about.
1: Just recently, uh, a high draft pick um, or a pot- potential high draft pick Carter Stewart chose to go to Japan. Did you hear about that story? I did. Yep. Do you think that's a viable option for young players? And is that something that you ever consider? I mean, maybe later in your career, um, did you ever consider Japan? And do you think that could be an option for younger players who maybe don't want to go the minor league route? Um, I thought it was really interesting and creative for Carter Stewart to do this, sign a five year deal in Japan, and then maybe come back to the States when he's a little older.
2: Yeah, I thought it was really, really interesting, too. I think, you know, I think the opportunity probably won't be there for a ton of players. It's going to be there for, you know, certain guys, guys that. Or potential high picks and stuff yeah. um so i do think it's really interesting and again i don't know i remember hearing about it. i remember you know seeing it um i don't know all the specifics but i did think when i saw that i was like damn that's a pretty smart move right there like i could see some guys jumping on this bandwagon and doing the same thing um you know you go over there you probably and again i don't know what he signed for but he got got paid pretty well and he's not going to be driving on i wouldn't have Again, I'm, I don't know everything about how the league works over in Japan, but I, I don't believe that they're taking, like, buses that break down, 12-hour trips, staying in some of the worst hotels, eating peanut butter and jelly sandwiches every day. I don't think they're doing that. Um, and so, you know, if you, if you can skip over that and get paid a lot of money and then come back and pretty much, if he develops, maybe go right to the big leagues and sign another big deal. Like, I don't know. I think that's pretty interesting.
1: Agreed.
0: Kind of bringing it back to your career, um, I mean, one of the toughest decisions probably of your life, when did you know it was time to hang up the spikes?
2: Yeah, so I um, I didn't really have a tough decision because nobody wanted me anymore. Um, <laughs> That'll do it. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I, my last few years, uh, basically starting in 2010, a little bit in 2009, I um, Uh, Some of it was injury related. Some of it was just not being a very good player. And I think the injuries had a little bit to do with it Uh, because I I started missing so much time. Uh, I I broke my hand in 2010, um, but I had hand, I had wrist issues in 2009 that I missed a lot of games for, but, um, you know, I didn't really know what was going on. 2010, I found I had a broken hand and I had a, like an arthritic wrist. Ended up getting two surgeries that year. I didn't play in a single game. And then uh, that kind of plagued me in 11 and 12 where I got surgeries in both of those years. I couldn't make it through either season. Basically, like my wrist would just really, really hurt to the point where it feels like, you know, I don't know how to describe it, but sharp pain every time I swing. And so um, the only thing that would get me better is I'd have to get a surgery to get it cleaned out. And um, But that would put me on the shelf for a while. And so I wasn't able to hit in the winter time. I was supposed to go and play um in a winter league and I wasn't able to do that so it just kind of started hurting my development it's hard to get better when you're not really ever playing and then I think I kind of got labeled as like the injured guy that couldn't stay healthy um and the guy that's hitting like 220 and so in 2013 I actually finally after surgery but the year before I actually felt pretty good and I was with the Indians and I hit really well in spring training and I I, I literally was like man I'm gonna be a starting you know infielder in AAA, and I might have a chance maybe down the road to make the team. And I got called into the office last day of spring training. And they said, uh, I I went in, I was like, I know I'm not getting sent to the big leagues here, but I don't know what this is for. And they said they were going to put me on the Phantom DL, which basically means like, um, we kind of want to cut you, but we want to kind of keep you around, but we don't want to play you and put you on the roster. So it's a bad sign. And uh, I ended up getting released a couple months later. I got like three at-bats in the first month and a half or something like that. And nobody called. Like I didn't get a single call from a team. Uh the I got a lot of calls from Independent Ball. Um, but I had to decide, do I want to go to Independent Ball? I think if they were offering me like, I don't know, it was like no money. It was like worse than uh short season. I had a at the oh. time I had a wife. Yeah. Um and uh I was injured and I literally was like, I don't think I'm ever getting back to the big leagues. And if I can't get back there, like I'm not gonna I'm not gonna just like waste away an independent ball if i don't my my main goal playing baseball is like playing the big leagues and i had fun obviously playing in the minors but i said if i can't get back to the big leagues i kind of told my wife this at the beginning of my career when i got the triple a i was like i i'm playing this game for one reason it's to play at the highest level and if i don't think i can get there like i am not going to collect the check just to say i'm a professional player and just to like you know, if I don't feel like I can make it to the big leagues, I think that I just thought that was ridiculous. And when I realized I wasn't going to be able to get there, that's when I said I'll get into coaching.
1: I respect that. And you knew when to get out. Uh, how's your road to the show guy end up, end up doing?
2: Oh, he's the best. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's... I,
1: I, was, yeah. I was checking you out on YouTube and uh, I think you were pretty fair with how you uh, gave, gave attributes to yourself. But um, <laughs> do you think there's any area that uh, maybe you're a little too generous with if your guy's doing that well?
2: Uh, yes, all of them. Um, (laughs) so I, uh, it's funny with road to the show. So my son, it's actually my son's PlayStation and, uh, and we bought him the game. And, uh, so a bunch of our players kept saying like, coach, you play video games anymore. And I used to love video games, but I was like, no, man, I'm like, I'm married. I got kids. I I don't have time for video games. And they kept saying, you got to create your player and you got to play road to the show. I didn't even know what it was. And they were like, get back to the big leagues again. You know, it'll be like you'll be able to have a long career and so i finally after they bothered me for so long about it i did it and now i'm like addicted to it um but the funny thing is i am like everything i do in that game is the opposite of the way of the type of player i was like i was very quiet i didn't yell at anyone i didn't say anything to the umpires so now i get to live in like this alter ego world where i can just be an absolute jerk to everybody scream and yell i love it and uh so it's a lot of fun and uh the minors are a lot more fun when you don't have to be on, you know, bad bus rides and, and peanut butter and jelly and all that. I can play my game and I can go upstairs and eat like a nice meal and sleep in a nice bed. And it's awesome.
0: So being a Massachusetts guy, what's your favorite Boston movie?
2: My favorite Boston movie, huh? Yeah, are you
0: more of a Damon, Affleck guy. Well,
2: um, I mean, there's a lot of good movies. Uh, oh my God, the best Boston movie. Uh, good Goodwill Hunting is a good movie. Great movie. Classic. Um, yeah. There's, uh, I don't know, are all those Damon, the, like what, The Departed and uh, The Town. I don't know what those all, but they're all Boston movies, right? Um,
1: how accurate so, is The Town?
2: How accurate is The Town? <laughs> well, I mean, the one thing about Boston movies, um, oh, what's the movie I'm thinking about? Um, the boxing movie. I'm having a mental block here. But anyways. Oh, with all the, Uh Yes.
1: Uh, was that The Fighter? Yeah.
2: Fighter, So but I just feel like every Boston movie makes Boston look like the worst place on the face <laughs> of the earth. And uh, I actually live north of Boston. Um, I grew up about 20 minutes north. Now I'm about 30 minutes north. Um, but I don't know. I feel like I haven't been to the parts of Boston that these movies portray because they make it sound like the accents are horrible. I mean, I know I probably have a bad accent, but I'm. Not too bad. That's good. I, went, I mean, I went to school in North Carolina, so it kind of went away a little. But yeah, I don't know. Those movies make make Boston seem pretty bad. Don't I think it's a nice place except for the two feet of snow that we have and 20 degree weather. But
0: So last question before we get you out of here. Have you seen the new Pottery's Uniques? I did. Yeah, I like them on a scale of uh, fire to fire. How fire are they?
2: Well, I would say that, listen, I think brown and like yellow are probably pretty too like they're they're kind of disgusting colors to go together. Oh no, or Matt. But like I don't know. I looked at them and I was like, they look. I kind of liked it. Like I just right. why All you right. don't Red-
1: like it? No, redeeming yourself. Yeah, no, they're amazing.
2: Yeah, uh, yeah, I was- uh, exactly. I like them. I just don't think I don't think those colors. Like when I think of brown and yellow, I'm like oh, I don't know about that. But then you put on a uniform and uh, I think How about chocolate and rough? gold though. That, oh, that's true.
1: Yeah, <laughs> that's a it sounds a lot better instead of brown and yellow.
2: It does sound a lot better.
1: We care about you, Matt. We don't want you to say you don't like those uniforms on this podcast because you're going to get a whole audience that hates you.
2: Oh, so. no, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that. Actually, if you um, – I just put up a – again, I don't know how much you watch my YouTube channel, but I ended up also on my video game here on MLB The Show. I did like franchise mode where I'm taking the Padres and I'm trying to win like a World Series. I want to get them their first World Series. And uh, – I just put up a thumbnail of Tatis and, uh, I think Machado in it. and they've got the, they've got like the, uh, the Brown and, and what do you call it? Chocolate and, and gold jerseys or whatever. And, uh, and it's, it looks really, really good. So I like them.
1: Awesome. Okay. Good to hear Matt. Thank you so much for coming on tonight. We love talking to you. We'd love to have you back again. Follow his YouTube channel. Antonelli baseball, right? Yep. That'll get you there. Um, anything else you'd like to promote while you're here?
2: No, that's it. If you want to check out my stuff, you got to do uh, YouTube. I got a bunch of videos there, Anthony Baseball. Also Instagram, Anthony Baseball, and then uh, our website, I don't know, I'm a lot probably not too many people that are going to be from the Boston area, but if you go to anthonybaseball.com, you can check out our uh, baseball stuff. Cool, really appreciate it. Thanks, man. Awesome. Thanks, Matt. Uh, yep, yeah, no problem at all. Thanks, guys.
0: Thank you to Matt Antonelli. That was a great interview. Twas Ryan. What's up? Have you ever watched a reality TV show and been like, I knew that was happening? Yes. Have you ever wanted to bet on it beforehand? All the time, actually. Well, you should check out this new app called Fanium. With the app, you can play against other fans from around the country and win some awesome prizes by predicting what will happen in your favorite reality TV shows. It's totally free to play, free on the App Store.
1: Nice. I have the app. I just downloaded it, actually, yeah. I won last week. New sponsor. I mean, I haven't won yet, but <laughs> we'll get there.
0: So go ahead and uh, download the Fanium app in the App Store or Google Play today, and play these trivia games like the Reality TV Guru. That's F A N I U M Fanium app. Free prizes. America's favorite reality TV shows.
1: America, Bald Eagles, Second Amendment. Let's go.
0: I never heard of half of these guys, and the ones I do know are way
2: past the prime.
0: Most of these guys never had a prime. This guy here is
2: dead.
1: So the main story of the day, or I guess of the week, since we're recording this on Thursday, is the Potters made a second trade. And this is not the trade we were all hoping for. It is a really minor trade, and it was with the Oakland A's for Jureks and Profar, Potter sent Austin Allen back and a player to be named. So do we care about Jerks and Profar? My very short answer is no, I don't.
0: I mean, we needed a second baseman. Who else were we going to put out there?
1: Uh, Luis Arias was there who had basically the same numbers as Jerks and Profar and younger. Love that he's Several years younger (laughs) and cheaper. So Profar is 26. He's a former number one overall prospect as recently as 2013. According to Baseball America, he had a – 70-hit tool on them at the time, 60-power tool, 55-speed, 65-defense. Are you familiar with the scouting grades? Yes. Okay, so it's 20-80 scale. I mean, for our fans out there, particularly Migdal. Yeah, we might need a refresher. So 20-80 scale is what scouts use to grade players' tools. 80 is considered outstanding, and 80 is the max you can get, and very few 80s are given out. Likewise, very few – go ahead. <laughs> to Heston refreshes Mango White Claw.
0: This ad is brought to you by...
1: White Claw P.S. So there's very few 20s given out as well, but most, most players are right in the 40 to 60 range um, with a few exceptions, but he has high grades everywhere. Had a torn labrum in his shoulder that kind of, I think, sent him back a lot in his development and caused him to miss all of 2015 and has had, I guess, effects going into his current career. Like we haven't, he hasn't been the same hitter since this uh, torn labrum
0: still hits dingers though.
1: I mean, who doesn't hit dingers? We're going to get to that in a second. Oof. He's the kind of guy that used to kind of have everything in, in the toolbox. I would say the, uh, the ability to play all over the diamond can, can wear any kind of infield glove you'd want him to wear. Um, Could probably play the corner outfield just fine. Hits for average, had some power, had some speed, but it never came together. And again, he's 26 years old now. Coming off a season where he hit 20 home runs, but with a sub 300 on base percentage, and that's not a startable player. 20 home runs in Oakland, that's nice. But a guy that gets on base less than 30% of the time, I don't think deserves to get the at-bats to get you to 20 home runs. Like Jabari Blash could have done that.
0: Right, but he's more, I mean, of a holdover piece until the younger guys get
1: up there. I mean, we only need him for one or two years. Who's the younger guy that's going to play second base? It was Luis Arias.
0: Xavier Edwards.
1: Well, I guess Edwards. He's only one um, or two years away. He's still very young. Right. And like the team, the team's trying to win right now. So Are they though? I wouldn't want to. Yeah, they are. They're absolutely trying to win right now. I think we have one more year. Edwards is not going to be ready next year. So it's just because like Gore's not ready. The best talent in the minors isn't ready. So like the team is trying to win now, but pieces that aren't going to be stars, you need to start sending out to get major league talent because the guys aren't getting younger, you know? I I, guess,
0: but. At the same time, we gave him nothing to get him.
1: Well, we gave him, I think it was $5.7 million for 2020. Then after that, he's an unrestricted free agent. Um, We were talking about home runs a second ago. Do you have any idea how many players hit 20 home runs last year? You want to just take a guess, Maybe A
0: third of the league.
1: That would be like how many players in the league? Like 600-ish? 200 players? Carry the two. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, 129 players hit. 20 home runs and just because that many Padres did it um, who did it on the Padres Machado Hosmer Tatis Renfro Ren- oh, God, Renfro so like anybody can do it like wh- half the players on the Padres I just named that did it I don't even I don't like but so, at second base well I think Arias could have please challenged 20 home me. runs uh, with his uppercut swing you never know now okay so he hit 20 in Oakland Oakland's a really difficult place to hit and I think there's some, you know, incorrect assumptions that San Diego is still a hard place to hit. You go to a lot of games. You've watched, you watch a ton of Pottery's baseball. Do you think San Diego is a, or Petco is a tough place to hit these days? No longer now. No,
0: especially during the day, it's ball
1: flies. Ball flies. The, the, the problem I think with the park, they moved in all the fences, and now that the ball is so juiced, we're not seeing like the the outfield's small. Like it, I think it's always kind of been small, but the park the park played big. Because of the weather and with more day games and with this ball and global warming, polar bears are disappearing, man. Uh, We're seeing a lot more home runs and maybe we're not seeing as many runs because less balls are getting in. People forget like Coors Field plays as such a big hitters park because it's not just home runs. It's the outfield is gigantic right? and everything falls in. It's impossible
0: to cover the outfield.
1: Everything falls in. San Diego. We don't have any... Nevin or Klesko is yelling back up at the owner's box anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Miss Klesko in left field. Uh, there, There's not many balls that drop in, but the home runs fly out of here. And the, and the offense hasn't been good. That's another reason why people think maybe that Petco plays as a pitcher's park still. It's because we don't score a lot of runs there. Well, like the team wasn't very good. Tatis is the best player on the team. He missed half the season. Machado definitely quit in the second half of the season if you watched any of these games. The, the team sucked. So for me... Profar, getting back to him, he's always been a projections guy, always young for the level he was at. Um, he's not the same player as Luis Arias. He's going to get pay- compared to him a lot because he's going to be taking over the second base job. You're right. He's better. But they're they're very different players. I don't know if he's better. He's older. Um, he's only 26. Yeah, it's like four years older than Arias. Renfro's 28. Yeah, Renfro's old as sh- We're not talking about Renfro. <laughs> uh so the deal that sent Arias away, I think, was completely about Trent Grisham and not as much about Luis Arias. I think the team clearly didn't buy into Luis Arias and that's why he was involved in the deal.
0: Right, which brings me back to the point. They wanted Trent a Grisham. Hold over, Xavier Edwards and Abrams are closer than you think.
1: Yeah, but there's, there's such a, a sharp curve of development when a new – Young player comes up. No one, not everybody's Tatis. He's not going to come up. Edwards is going to come up and hit 330 right away. Why not? I mean, everybody's playing the young players. Soto, like everybody around the league, it's it's young kids are playing. It's true, yeah. And those guys were all you know top ten prospects. Soto, Soto, not so much because he was forced to come up earlier than I think they even anticipated. So
0: let's bring Edwards or Abrams up early. See what they do.
1: You never know, but I wouldn't recommend doing that. It's a holdover piece. We'll see, but uh, I think Profar. Is really versatile. I think he's a, a great utility player. Play him in the outfield, play him in the infield.
0: He's a better Jose
1: Perella. Mm, I kind of like that. Right. And younger and higher upside, actually. Pirella, I mean, Perella had some stints where he was okay. Did I okay. Just get you again? What was the first one you got me with? Last week with that trade. With what? You hated the trade. Then I kind of talked you into it. I don't think you talked to me. Yeah. I like Trent Grisham. I, I never said I didn't like the trade. I never said I loved the trade. I think it was a... He's just is just not a needle mover for me. Fangraphs sat had him as a, uh, a 1.3 F four player last year. So that's slightly above league average uh, was not good on offense. Sub 300 on bases, which I mentioned good on defense though. And in, in the 2018, the year before he was actually flipped, he was better on offense than he was on defense. So as long as he's healthy, it, I think he's an above-average player, and maybe we get a little lucky, catch lightning in a bottle. He combines years where like he's finally good on offense and defense at the same time. He's still in his prime, so that's a good thing. In Playoff it,
0: experience,
1: I guess. He had really bad luck. This is your favorite stat: his BABIP was terrible last year. Oof. So, as an athletic player who can run, it's really unusual that he had a two sixteen BABIP.
0: That's awful.
1: And over the course of an entire year, you would think that would kind of correct itself, but. Going into next season, I'm hoping that we see a new kind of babbitt from him, which is close to the league average, which is about 300. That's what you expect from any ball. Babbitt stands for batted or uh, what does it stand for? Batted average, balls in play. That's the one. Should we make some Padres babbitt shirts. Sure. Regression to the mean, which means he should uh, raise that babbitt next year. Water so finds its level. Blind squirrel finds the acorn. Nope. Okay. Uh, so that, that babbit should definitely raise back up to about 300 or close to it. I don't know what his career Babip is off the top of my head, but um, the league average is 300. So especially for a guy that can use his legs a little bit, he's not Victor Martinez out there or um, Albert Pujols. Like he should have a babbit closer to the league average than what he's doing. So there's optimism. Yeah. I think it's a low risk play. Low, it's a gamble, but it's low risk. Short-term, he's absolutely not the answer at second base long-term, but hope we got it right. I mean, that's all you can hope for. We're Potters fans. Just yeah. I mean, I don't think it's the worst move. Like, it's just a meh trade. It's definitely— We needed it. A move. I'm going to go on a limb and say it's a move. Hot take. Yeah. And next year, we're going to see results <laughs> from that move. There will be some results <laughs> from that move. Yeah. <laughs> So who'd we give up? Uh a guy that I was very okay giving up, Austin Allen. So he got a cup of coffee last year, didn't do anything. He was a college catcher that the Potters drafted in the fourth round in 2015. Lefty masher. He's supposed to be a hit first catcher, um, defense kind of second. He was actually ranked uh this has not been released yet. I mean, I've been I've been holding our top thirty list because of these trades and because
0: the people want the list, Ryan.
1: It's coming. There's been some some changes, I mean, ongoing changes with the Padres, and I wanted to make sure uh, I didn't have 10 guys on this list that were no longer with the club.
0: Which still could happen.
1: Which is happening right now. Luckily, Luis Arias has already been graduated. But Austin Allen was 13th on my Padres top 30. Uh, What I had to say about him um, behind the curtain was uh, love his bat still. Um, Went home with less than 60 at-bats with the Padres in his first call-up, but... Wasn't getting consistent playing time. He was in the mix with Hedges and Mejia. Um, Hedges was hurt. I think that's when he got most of his time uh, behind the, the plate. Not as polished defensively, offensive minded. Kind of reminds me a little bit of a, a Brian McCanny sort of catcher. Great for DH for the A's. Uh, I think they're probably going to get him in the mix with fellow former prospect who I think just graduated from List last year, Sean Murphy, who's been considered a glove first guy. So maybe a good compliment there to Sean Murphy. Um, last year he was in the PCL, um, saw his offensive number skyrocket, which kind of everybody did. Did you know Austin hedges in his last stint in AAA hit 326 with 21 home runs? I actually did know that (laughs) it's the most misleading stat of any, of any player I've ever seen, but, uh, that's what hedges did. So overall, I think this is another trade that Perler did. That's just kind of meh for me. And there's obviously – there were connections with him and Profar back from his days in Texas when Profar came up with the Rangers and Preller was in the front office of the Rangers. He loved something there. Um, Profar
0: just kind of seems to follow Kinsler.
1: Oh, is it a Kinsler thing you think? I don't know. Replace
0: Kinsler in Texas? Replace Kinsler in San Diego?
1: God, I can't wait to get rid of Kinsler.
2: <laughs> what are we doing? What are we doing?
1: So, Wade, we had a – late night trade. We were we were recording this on Thursday. We're back. I mean we didn't according to the people who are listening, we didn't leave. But we True. are still recording on Thursday night post interview with Matt Antonelli. And there was a late trade. And the trade was according to the prospect world pretty huge. Pretty huge. Acquired Tommy Fam. Love it. For Hunter Renfro, Renfro, and my boy, mm. Xavier Edwards. That hurts. That one, that's a knife deep in my side. That's, that got me a little bit.
0: That does. Where was he on your list?
1: So Edwards for me, along with probably a lot of lists, not that I've looked at many lately, is number five on my off season top 30. and I'm guessing for a lot of lists he's in the top five which justifiably so he's a teenager he made up to high a last year he hit 300 everywhere he's gone no power who was the dude uh on the Rays that just tweeted out that he's a slap dick hitter that was, oh that was um that was Blake Snell what's the Blake Snell tweet say
0: we gave fam up for Renfro and a damn slap dick prospect.
1: According to Blake Snell. Blake Snell.
0: Slap dick prospect.
1: Slap dick. I mean, that's – I mean, if I'm going to be honest, that's pretty catchy. If I'm Blake Snell. Blake Snell thinks Xavier Edwards is a slap dick. Blake Snell's pretty good. But uh, – So Xavier Edwards. Speaking of slap dick, kind of a slap in the dick to Xavier Edwards, if I'm being honest. He's more than a slap dick hitter.
0: It's a bad loss for the Padres.
1: Um. So let's just get into your initial reaction before we get into my initial reaction. It's fam and a player to be named, which has been named. It's uh, was it Jake Cronenworth? Yes. Who's? I mean, we. He's not a guy we need to spend a lot of time on, but.
0: He'll be it, a backup infielder.
1: It's Hunter Renfro and Xavier Edwards. What do you think about losing Xavier Edwards?
0: I don't care about Renfro. Like, Renfro, we knew it was going to be gone. Xavier Edwards hurts, but at the same time, like, CJ Abrams is right behind him. They play the same position. They
1: don't at all. You know uh, that. You know that. You've been in the show long enough, you know they don't. They don't. All right. It's not the biggest loss. It's not, okay. So I've had enough time to cool down. We were, all right. we were, you
0: were heated.
1: We were at Ballast Point.
0: Right when it first happened, you were
1: heated. And I was not, I was not excited about this trade, but. You're like,
0: we need to get in the pot
1: right now. Here's measured Ryan Hart right now. We knew Xavier Edwards was on the trade block. Right. Before tonight, before the season ended, we knew like in the offseason, Xavier Xavier Edwards was a top prospect, but was also expendable. Right. And knew as much as I love the dude, which I do, we knew he was...
0: You wanted more for him. We
1: knew he was a candidate to be traded. I wanted more than a 32-year-old center fielder.
0: I mean, Tommy Pham.
1: So even though this is a Pottery's Prospects podcast, I think we've demonstrated what we know and like about Xavier Edwards. He's a middle infielder. He has elite speed. He has elite contact skills. He's a prototypical leadoff hitter that teams try to find. Right. And he was a... Yeah, supplemental draft pick. So he was pretty early in the draft, uh, 38th overall. He's a good player. He's a really good player. And is all you have to know about him is that he's a top five player in a system that's one of the best systems in baseball and has been for the last couple of years. Tommy Fam. Tommy fam a really good player. We he's very good. I think we know that Tommy fam a good player. Some people are really excited about Tommy fam. And s- this is an initial reaction that I'm seeing across Twitter. That's all I have to go by so far. And this is not my, what I want to see from Padre fans is what do you think about Tommy fam? All I have to go on so far is what I've seen across the Twitter sphere, And it's either. I, I really like Tommy fam because I just discovered who he was and, or I've known the last couple of years. He's, he's a good player. Or this isn't what I wanted to do with my top prospects. Is acquire
0: right the you player go one of the way? But
1: at the same time, like we're in win now mode. We debated this earlier, and is it is it win now mode now, or is it win now mode next year? I was saying, if I think you're it's, Preller, it's got to be win now. I agree. I think it should be win now, and clearly it is win now because the Padres just acquired 32 year old Tommy fan. Tommy Fam, as I just good. as I just said, is a very good player. He has he's been a
0: center fielder. What we needed,
1: he's been a four win player according to f- to Fangraphs. He's been a three win player What's according to Fangraphs. You you love BABIP.
0: Uh, you know I love BABIP. Uh,
1: well, according to twenty eighteen, the BABIP was well above average. Nice. So the ba- that's not good. That means you're due for regression. So the BABIP was 342, and it regressed last year. I mean, okay, so I it, it was not supposed to regress. It was supposed to, regress, and it did. It was 316 last year, and he's still a good player. I don't care necessarily what the BABIP is. He hit 275 in 2018. He hit 273 in
2: 2019.
1: Right. It, it doesn't matter to me. The dude gets on base. His on base is over 360, which love I love. That. I I love. He's 2020. Hits right. for power. Has speed. Gets on base.
0: Playoff experience.
1: Sure. Is an above average center fielder. And so does he make the major league club better right now? I think. Yeah, he does. But does he add enough to the, the current roster to warrant trading a player like Xavier Edwards where... Is is the Padres team because of Tommy Pham good enough to compete for a playoff spot like a wild like a wild card position because they're not going to beat the Dodgers in the West? I would think so. If we get a pitcher, I don't think there's enough offense here. I don't think there's enough pitching here.
0: I think by adding him one through six in batting order is strong.
1: The team is much better. Agreed. Where would you hit him in the batting order? So. I think there's basically two places you can hit him. And I think it's either lead off or second and it's him or Tatis and like right. the, you can mix match. They're both right-handed. Um, that's not really what I'm interested in. It's how, how good is fam right now as a, as a guy going into his age 32 season, he walks a decent amount. He's a 12% walk rate. He strikes out less than 20% as of last year. He doesn't he hasn't had that many good years in a row. He hasn't pieced together the longevity that I'd like to see from a guy who's 32. His best season I think by far was 2017, which is when he broke out at age 29 in the St. Louis Cardinals uh organization. He hit 306 with 23 home runs and 25 stolen bases with a 4.11 on base. He came up late in the season, played 128 games. There, there are some issues with Tommy Pham that I'm concerned about. So he's a good player. He's a very late bloomer, which is a red flag for me because there's only so many good years you have as a, as a baseball player. If you're, if you're blooming at 29 and you're already going to be 32 next year, how many years do you really have left? Did you know that he has a degenerative eye disease? That kind of delayed his progress as a player and has been an issue ongoing for him over the last few years.
0: I mean, with modern science, it's not an issue.
1: It could be or it could not be. I'm, I don't, I'm not a doctor, clearly. But that's an issue that – I mean, it's a thing that I wish I didn't have to worry about. And it, I'm not Tommy Did Fam. you Google that today? No, I've known about that.
0: Just though. trying to find
1: out problems no. with Tommy Fam. Didn't Google that today. Oh, OK. I – don't see the track record from him. So like, if we're getting, if this was for Starling Marte, wouldn't you have rather Tommy fam's name, Ben Starling Marte in this trade? And you'd be a little happier. Starling Marte, 2020 guy, longer track record of success. And prob. well, let's say we give up the same guys. I think I'd be happier with Starling Marte than Tommy fam. And well, I mean, he's also younger, but that, that doesn't mean a ton in this situation. It's just, who has the track record for me? And for me, it's it's Starling Marte.
0: You think Renfro was fine in the trade?
1: They traded a starting or a, a Major League Baseball caliber outfielder and a top prospect. I think the Rays are going to take Renfro and do a strict platoon with him, which the Padres started to do and then abandoned at some point last year when Fran Reyes got traded. Renfro is going to turn into a strict platoon guy where he bats only against lefties, and they're going to pair him with a a, a lefty hitter, and, and that's they going to be DH a,
0: the other the other days.
1: No, he's not going to play. They're going to that's going to be a viable lefty righty platoon that the Rays don't give a shit about, and that's going to be a really good right fielder between the two players. And so that's what I, you, I thought they should have done with Grisham and Renfro. He's going to make eight point six million this year. He's arbitration eligible next year somehow because he came up so late, and then in 2022 he's an unrestricted free agent. So he's he, we have two years of him. And if I was, gonna, not that much money. If I'm gonna guess what he would make in arbitration next year,
0: around the same. I I, d- I don't
1: be. think a ton. I, I would guess around. Um, well, if he's a th- if he's a three win player according to Fangraphs, that could be a ton. Um, it could be in the, like the fifteen million dollar range. We'll see. It's really hard to say right now. So but-
0: maybe it's a good get.
1: If you want to pay him,
0: I mean, what we've seen is Preller is gambling. Preller's gambling hard.
1: Anyway, I I just my point is I I wished that Xavier Edwards was held for something better, or they just kept him because I think the ceiling on well, Xavier time, Edwards like,
0: is really high. If you held him and Preller didn't make a move, you would have been like, "Fuck Preller, he didn't make a move."
1: Maybe, I don't know. It depends what the move is. Like I said, if it was for Starling Marte, if they could have swung a deal in Pittsburgh for a Starling Marte. And it was Xavier Edwards and a couple other pieces and maybe I don't know we get some money. I don't know I I would have rather had a more reliable piece than I think Tommy Fam although I hope Tommy Fam does really well I still think he's a very good player I just don't know about the long term benefits of Tommy Fam that's all that's me riding the fence I guess
0: Ways take, I think it's a good trade
1: okay I guess twenty twenty it's time for our very lucrative at least lately. Lock of the week. Target locked. So as a show, we went one and one last week. I held my own again. I'm 4-0 oh, my last four weeks, Wade. Are you? Yeah, 4-0. Oh. Mm. Check the tape. I. You check the tape. We saw Wade's streak end with his Browns losing to Pittsburgh. Why yeah. are you taking the Browns? What F- was I thinking? What are you doing?
0: I thought Duck Hodges wasn't real.
1: They're not back. The duck is real. This week, I like – I know you don't like this. I like the Titans – Laying three in Oakland. I think Oakland is done, and I don't think they want to play. I've, I've seen the will to play from Oakland just evaporate. And I think Tannehill is back. So he gets better every week. They're they're going to get that second wild card spot. So I'm 4-0. I, you can't say anything. I'm 4 in my last four weeks. Congrats, man. Thank you. Titans, lay the points.
0: I didn't like any spreads this week.
1: They were brutal spreads this week.
0: I can't read week. any team in the NFL anymore.
1: It's been on San Diego State. They've been on fire. They're good. Basketball, by the that way. That Flynn kid. The Mal- kid Malachi, shoot, and that uh, Hall, great name, the Malachi, the
0: Vanderbilt transfer, the tall kid.
1: I'm blanking on his name. I'm blanking on the name too. Uh,
0: that kid's good.
1: Yanni, yes, that Wetzel, kid. yeah, that kid. They're good. They're legit good. First nine zero start since Kawhi Leonard was there. Them against Utah State's gonna be. Play them twice, yeah. It's going to be a lit game. They play Utah. Um, Utah just beat BYU. Um, but yeah, they're they're the real deal. Watch out for San Diego State. Wait,
0: SDSU plays Utah in basketball? They're going
1: to play Utah this year, I think in a couple of weeks.
0: Okay. But for my NFL pick, this line I don't understand at all. Seattle on the road at LA. The Rams. So Rams, not
1: the Carson Chargers. Rams favored by one. Yeah, it's a little weird. Makes no sense. It's Vegas. They know what they're doing. They want you to They want you to bet on Seattle.
0: I know they do. And I'm going to. I'm going to fall for the trap. Take
1: Seattle plus one. All right. I'll, I'll probably ride with you. Thank you for listening. Please follow the show's Twitter account, at FireFarmHands. If you enjoy the show, subscribe, leave a comment. Don't care if it's good or bad. We're on all your favorite platforms, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, TuneIn, Spotify, and iHeart.
0: You can also find us at Believe.com and at Believe Podcasts. Please leave
1: your comments, questions, concerns, and your rating of the show on all platforms. Thanks again to Matt Antonelli. You've been listening to Believe in Padres Prospects on the Believe Podcast Network, San Diego's number one sports podcast network. For Wade, I'm Ryan. See you guys next week. Just move on,
2: toward your destination
1: And then uh, we'll do like a little stop and then we'll do the read. Okay.
0: okay. Wait, sorry. I wasn't paying attention. <sighs> Fucking damn it.
2: Thank you for listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at believe.com and search for B L E A V on YouTube.